We're going to look at verses 38 through 42 together. All right, Arts and Letters Daily posted an article this week by Eric Switzengable. Uh, It begins like this. Here's something you probably didn't do this morning. Look in the mirror and ask, am I a jerk? I guarantee it, not many of us did that. So begins his article entitled, How to Tell if You're a Jerk. Uh, Switzengable defines jerkitude. Now, he made up that word. I did not make up that word. I wish I made up that word. That is an awesome word, jerkitude. He defines it this way. Jerks see the world through goggles that dim others' humanity. And Switzengable goes on to say that jerks are always the last person to know that they're a jerk, but everybody else around them figured it out really, really quickly. How important is it to know whether you're a jerk or not? How crucial is it for you? Switzengable says, this is how crucial it is, maybe nothing is more central to your moral character than your degree of jerkitude. It is your basic comportment toward the people around you, end quote. This morning, Jesus teaches us how to, how to deal and live with jerks. It's that plain. Uh, if, because of this article, I'm going to change the title of the sermon. If you look in the bulletin, it says Experiencing uh, Subverting Everyday Evil. We're going to call it Subverting Jerks. Uh, turning it inside out, flipping it upside down, actually living a completely different way. And Jesus is going to show us how. Let's stand to hear God's word. This morning's scripture is from Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42. You have heard that it, is, it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, uh, that you would grant clarity to the mind, realness to the heart. And, Lord, just as we sing, wherever grace is, there you are. There's freedom. And so would you outpour freedom and mercy and grace upon us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, in our passage this morning, Jesus assumes that there are jerks in the world, and that you and I will experience jerkitude, right? Look how it begins, verse 39, but if, you, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, that's how it begins. So this is not a physical, sla- I mean, this is not like physical harm and abuse. This is not someone bullying you or someone that you're with. It's not, it's not behavior that's of the level of criminal behavior that needs civil authorities and the police to come in and, and take it away and to deal with it. Uh, and then Jesus is not coming up to you and saying, ah, oh, man, just let them continue to assault you. In fact, why don't you turn the other cheeks so you can even out the bruises. Uh, stay in a, an abusive situation. Jesus is not saying this stuff. He's not saying uh, restrain Do not restrain the evil that's wrecking you and wrecking your loved ones. Don't do that for my sake. Don't do that. 
When I was in seminary, we had a, a class called the Gospels, and we got to this passage, and the seminary professor said, the point that Jesus is making is don't stop evil for my sake. That was his point. He went on to illustrate it with uh, an armed intrusion into his house. It's just it's an illustration. He didn't, this didn't happen. And uh, these armed men threatened him, his wife, and his children. And he said, what God is calling us to in those moments is to do nothing to restrain the evil, uh, to let it go, even if it means loss of life, loss of yours, loss of your spouses, loss of your children. There was an elder gentleman in the class, and he raised his hand, and the professor said yes, and he said, if, if I was your father's wife, if I was the wife, if I was the father of your wife, I would rebuke you. That's not what Jesus is meaning here. Jesus is not meaning uh, do not restrain criminal evil. By the way, that was an incredibly fun moment in that class. I wish y'all could have been there. Uh, this is why Jesus brings up in verse 38, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. See that verse 38? See, in the ancient world, the family was everything. In the ancient world, your family had the power to give or take away your dignity and your respect, your honor. It had the power to actually give or take away your well-being. I mean, your very security and your survival, it had the power to give and take away your purpose in life, the meaning in life, your place and your, your function of what's valuable and meaningful to you. Family values were everything in the ancient world. So if you were verbally assaulted or criminally, criminally assaulted, it was a family affair. And sometimes the family affair could get very extreme and can be very swift. I want you to think of the Godfather, and I want you to think of the Hatfield and McCoys, right? So into this world of family values, God releases through Moses upon a nation a new revolutionary idea of justice. The punishment must fit the crime. An eye, not a life, not genocide for an eye. A tooth, not maiming or send them off into slavery for a tooth. The punishment must fit the crime. And into this Old Testament reality, this revolutionary idea of justice took place in the civil realm. You had real official judges with real official courts and public discernments of what's just and what's not and what's going on, and then proportionate justice. This is why Matthew scholar Frederick Bruner says this Old Testament commandment was civilized, advanced, and just. This is why early church father Chrysostom said, Whereas thou sayest, because he commanded to pluck out an eye for an eye, therefore he is cruel. But I say to you, if he doesn't give this command... He's cruel. Verse 38, Jesus is not rejecting civil authority. He's not rejecting restraining real criminal level evil at the government level or if you happen to be there and it's happening to a helpless victim or someone you love. Daniel Doriani is a pastor. He's also a professor at, at uh, Covenant Theological Seminary. He says, look, the Bible does not teach pacifism or that the sword is intrinsically evil. Nor does God bless war. And neither should we. But in the Bible, 
God often tells us to defend the defenseless, starting with the orphans and the widows. And he cites Exodus and James and Jeremiah. And he says, defensive wars do that very thing, end quote. So Jesus is not rejecting civil justice. Jesus is rejecting taking the mindset of civil justice into your interpersonal relationships, into your encounters with jerks. That's what he's rejecting here. So in the ancient world, let's look at that text. Look at 39, the slap on the face. In the ancient world, if you were to slap someone in the face, that was the highest insult possible. And notice it's on the right cheek, and everybody in the ancient world was right-handed. Left-handeds were not normal people, and I have a left-handed son. But it came across, you have to come across this side to hit the right side of the cheek. So it is one of the highest insults that you can give a person. Even today, the laws in the Middle East retain laws against that kind of behavior, slapping someone in the face, a backhanded slap. All right, so let's say you are... Let's say you have a parent. Let's say you have a professor, you have a teacher, you have a school, and they demand respect every day from you. There's all these respect rules in the school or your parent. There's tons of respect rules. There's tons of threatenings if you disrespect. They talk about respect all the time, and yet they don't respect you. That is jerkitude. Uh, let's say you have a friend, and the friend sets up a special lunch appointment with you because the friend wants to encourage you. And whether it's outright in this language or it's the subtext behind the conversation, there's, they say things like, man, have you put on some pounds? Why aren't you as holy as me? Not everyone can be as good a parent as I am. You know, it, it must be hard being you with your weaknesses and your personality, right? This is jerkitude. There are 101 ways every day you and I experience sin from other people, and, but that's not the focus of the text, we are the jerk, right? It could be the person at the checkout, it could be strangers. It could be the truck driver on I-35. It could be your spouse or your friends. It could be fellow church members. It can be lots of people that happen every day. There's no way you and I can get out of this world without experiencing jerks. I want you to look at verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. You will experience this. Right? I will experience this. And Jesus is saying, when it happens, do not resist it. Do not retaliate. Do not pay back. Endure it. Endure it is what he says famous German pastor, theologian, and eventual martyr, y'all know Bonhoeffer, uh, during Hitler's reign of terror, he wrote, the only way to overcome evil is to let it run itself to a standstill because it does not find the resistance it's looking for. He tried to take out Hitler, just so y'all know. Okay? He's not a, he's, he understood the two realms. That's why he was assassinated. 
Resistance merely creates further evil and adds fuel to the flames. But when evil meets no opposition and encounters no obstacles but patient endurance, its sting is drawn and at last meets an opponent it can't beat. Enduring sin is subversive. It draws the stinger out. It doesn't add evil to the fuel of the fire. It doesn't keep the cycle of payback going. So amidst your parents or your teachers or your professor or your school's demand for respect, Jesus is saying, endure it. Do not resist it. Do not retaliate. Do not pay back. So amidst your friends, your smug friends, advice, biting comments, cutting subtexts in the conversation, um, do not resist it, Jesus is saying. Endure it. Now, don't miss this. This is not doing nothing. This is not passivity. Endurance is the highest exertion. And Jesus is not done. Look at verse 39 again. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. So he's saying, endure the jerk, then bless him. Now, it's hard to see the bless angle and turning the other side of the cheek, isn't it? It's hard to say, I'm blessing him by letting him insult me again. But the other three examples he gives shows the blessing angle. Look at the pattern in the other three examples. Verse 40, let him have your cloak as well. Verse 41, go with him two miles, not just one. Verse 42, give to the one who begs and borrows. Give more. So amidst your parent, your teacher, your professor, your school's disrespect, Jesus says, endure it and then bless them. And this might look like respecting them and then praying for them because you have to be radically, deeply insecure to demand respect all the time. Uh, amidst your, your smug friend's encouragement, do not resist, endure it, Jesus is saying, and bless them. I mean, what would that might look like? That might look like forgiving them on the spot. That might look like initiating a real honest conversation with them, like saying, hey, Jill, uh, did you mean to hurt me with that comment? Or, John, um, what do you mean when you say it must be hard being me? This is a subversive life, and Jesus is calling us to a subversive life. All right, I want you to look at the other three examples, and they do the same pattern. So it's the same pattern for all the examples. We're just going to highlight different aspects of it. So the, the pattern is do not resist jerks or endure jerks and then bless jerks. That's the pattern, right? Here are some highlights. The first in verse 40, we will experience the loss of possessions from jerks. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, this might be literally sued. So you get literally sued. I guess lawyers call this gold digging. Or maybe it's a vendetta because they just don't like you and they may be jealous of you. or They, they took personal offense at something and they're just going to take you to court. Jesus is saying that could be happening. It could be that you just were sold a lemon for a car. And the seller knew it. And so you lost your car and you lost your money. It could be that a family member or a roommate borrowed your clothes 
And you figured out that they borrowed them and you went and you talked to them about it, but they can't find them, so now they lost them. It could be that they use your computer one night and it crashes and you lose everything. It could be that they take your last razor or they ate all the cookies. I'm over that one already. Did you see the tunic? In the ancient world, the tunic functions like underwear does in our, our day. So here's the picture. Jesus is saying, look, oh, man, they took your underwear. <sighs> Give them your clothes, too. See that? So we stand there naked. This is radically subversive. It's a subversive way to live. So endure the loss of possessions and then bless them with more. That's the pattern. And so you get to verse 41, and it says, we will experience the loss of freedom from jerks. Verse 41, if anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles. So under the Roman occupation, it was legal for a, a soldier to go up to someone who's occupied. The powering co country comes up and says, hey, take my stuff. It's legal for a soldier's equipment to be carried by someone under the occupation for one mile. So here you are, you've been constricted, conscripted to carry the soldiers, the centurion stuff. You go one mile, and the centurion says, all right, that's, that's far enough. I'll, I'll take it from here. And you say, no, man, hey, listen, I'll carry it for another mile. That's subversive. Grace breaks in. Blessing breaks in. That's salt and light stuff. That's the stuff that just releases light of another world into this world's realm. We will experience, 42, the loss of money from jerks. So give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who borrows from you. Same point. Endure the loss and then bless them with more generosity. It's amazing. Endure it and then turn around and bless them with more. So a subversive life, a subversive life, and this glorifies God greatly, right? So why don't we live like this? Why is it so hard to live like this? Can you smell it? I mean, the smoke is so thick in the text, you can smell it. Do you smell the fear in the text? You could cut it, it's so thick. The fear of loss, of losing your respect, of losing your dignity, of losing acceptance, of losing someone's appreciation or approval. Do you smell it? Do you smell the loss of possessions and wealth? And the fear of losing a sense of security and control that they provide or even pleasure and happiness? Do you smell the loss of freedom? Of being able to do, when that centurion comes up to you, it doesn't matter who you're with, it doesn't matter what you're doing, it didn't matter where you were going. You are now his for a mile. Do you smell the fear? You know, at Jesus' trial, there was a smug high priest. 
And this smug high priest interrogates and questions and deeply disrespects Jesus, God himself. And Jesus endured it. The text said he remained silent, end quote. There were other folks there, too. There was a, when he was taken to the violent, uh, deeply insecure, but incredibly controlling Pilate. Remember, we, we learned that he sacrificed these sacrificers on their way to Passover. Remember that a couple weeks ago? Um, he questions Jesus. He judges Jesus. He deeply disrespects Jesus. God himself. And Jesus endures that he doesn't defend himself. And then there are, we could call them like apprentices to ministry, right? There were a bunch of servants and apprentices of the high priests that were there and temple guards and further apprentices. And you know what the text said they were doing? They were spitting in his face. They were slapping him on both sides of his cheeks. It says they were pounding him in the head over and over and over again. So much so that Mark says they blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! Who hit you? And then the guards took him away and they gave him a real beat down. Because they know how to beat. They know what nerves to hit. They know what bones to crack. They know what muscles to disengage and numb. And you know that all Jesus did was endure it. It's such a powerful, powerful moment at his trial that years and years before it actually happened, there was someone that wrote about it that said, this is going to happen and it's going to be so breathtaking. It's going to be so cosmic. It will literally take your breath away if you get it. And Isaiah said, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled on my beard. You get that? My cheeks, bam, bam. And I did not hide my face from the mocking and the spitting. And the text goes on to explain why, but let's ask why. Why did Jesus endure it? Why did he endure the loss of respect, the loss of his dignity? We would say the loss of his self-image or self-esteem today. Why did he endure the, the loss of the possessions of paradise? Why would he endure the loss of the wealth of all the kingdom of God? The loss of the freedom of God himself? So you and I would not. So he could bless us. So he could secure for you the ultimate wealth, the ultimate possessions, the ultimate honor, and the ultimate freedom. And it's only when we, we start getting that that we don't retaliate and we don't pay back and we don't enter the cycle of violence. Only then can you and I endure it and then even go further than that and bless them. Because the Christian ultimately suffers no loss. 
None. So you are free to endure. You are free to bless. You are free to live a subversive life amidst jerks. Amen.